Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. Before we get into it, let's hold our Bibles to heaven and say thank you, Father, for your holy written word. It's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your words are life to me and health to all of my flesh. I have what your word says I have. I am what your word says I am. I can do what your word says I can do. Holy Spirit, anoint my ears to hear, my heart to receive, and my mind to be open to the knowledge of the truth that makes me free. Quicken me according to the word. Change me from glory to glory. And I boldly say, I will never ever be the same again. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Why serve God? We've been talking about the fact that many throughout history have had encounters with God that moved them to a place where they would serve God with their lives. It brought clarity as they saw, for example, Isaiah saw the holiness of God, high and lifted up and full of glory. It brought conviction upon his life. He saw that he had a need, and that is to have a coal from the, uh, a fire off the fire of the sacrifice to cleanse his tongue so he can speak and proclaim the things of God. We also saw that it brought, after conviction, a cleansing into his life, and then a commission to go out and serve the Lord the way that God anointed him to, uh, to serve in the office of a prophet. Well, we talked about Joshua, how Joshua said in Joshua 24 and 15, that is for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So we understand serving the Lord is a decision of the will. It's a choice that a person makes. When God created us, he gave us free moral agency with the right to choose our destiny and destination. So it's up to us to choose to serve the Lord. And then we said that choosing not to serve the Lord, of course, we can do that, but not serving the Lord has consequences. And we saw that in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 47 and 48, which says that because you serve not the Lord your God with gladness and joyfulness of heart for the abundance of all things that he's done for you, then you will serve your enemy in hunger, thirst, and nakedness and, and want of all things. He'll put a yoke of iron around your neck until you've been destroyed. And so who wants that? I don't think anybody should want that. But there's a consequence for not serving God. And then thirdly, we talked about the fact that choosing to serve the Lord is the right thing. And we saw that in Malachi 3, verses 13 through 18 from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Uh, verses 13 through 15 talked about one group that they said it's useless to serve God. A lot of people think like that today. Well, really, why should I serve God? It's useless to serve God. We still have all these issues, etc., etc., etc. It's useless to serve God. Well, that's their opinion. The next group said, this is group B, this is a group that you should be a part of and avoid the other one, says, it pays to serve God no matter what. Because I understand that if I serve him, I become his treasure, his special possession. Amen. And so that's the group that we want to be a part of, right? Well, as we continue our study, uh, here's a reason. It's the will of God for us to do so. And look at the book of Hebrews chapter 9, uh, beginning at verse 13 and 14. It is the will of God for every person 
who is a child of God to serve him. For if the mere, this is from the Amplified, by the way, if the mere sprinkling of unholy and defiled persons with blood of goats and bulls and with the ashes of a burnt heifer, notice that expression, ashes of a burnt heifer is sufficient for the purification of the body, how much more surely shall the blood of Christ, who by virtue of his eternal spirit, his own preexistent divine personality has offered himself as an unblemished sacrifice to God. Purify your consciences from dead works and lifeless observances to do what? To serve the ever living God. Notice how these are connected together. Well, first of all, let's state this. The book of Hebrews is all about the superiority of Jesus. He is superior to and greater than angels. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than the law. He's greater than the temple. He's greater than all the Old Testament sacrifices. He's even greater than the sacrifice of the red heifer, the ashes of the heifer. Now, that's significant and that's very important because then it goes on to say that his blood is, is to purify us, our consciences, so that we serve God. But here's the thing about the red heifer, and this doesn't excite you. You better go get a new exciter. I'm telling you right now. Two red heifers were born in 2018, August of that year, and they're still kosher today. And it's stated in an update of the red heifer that that red heifer is due to be sacrificed possibly in September of this year, which coincides with the feast of what? Trumpets. Okay. Well, why is that significant? Well, because ever since the time of Moses, when this commandment was given by the Lord, there have been nine red heifers sacrificed. The red heifer was sacrificed without the camp. And then once it was sacrificed, the blood was drained first before it was actually burnt. The blood was then taken inside and sprinkled seven times. Then the body of it was sacrificed. It was burnt. The ashes were collected in a ceremonial way. They were kept outside the camp in a place where they would be secure because it took the ashes of a red heifer to purify any entrance into the temple area. That's why today, you could look it up for yourself, the Temple Institute, the rabbis say that the Hebrew people are in a state of defilement. Because you see, without the ashes of a red heifer, they can't be cleansed. And they can't even walk on the temple mount to reconstruct and build the third temple. So finding a red heifer is significant. There hasn't been one in 2,000 years. Almost as long as it took the Browns to get into the playoffs. <laughs> Almost. 2,000 years there has not been a red heifer sacrifice. But now there are two that are kosher right now. And if they remain that way coming up in September, it could be sacrificed. Now, it didn't take much to purify the people. See, if you touched a dead body, you couldn't walk anywhere near the things of God until you were cleansed and purified by the ashes of a red heifer mixed with water and sprinkled and so on and so forth. So if you put that into context today, what do we see here? They're looking for the 10th 
See, the tenth one is significant because the tenth one was going to be the Messiah was going to offer this sacrifice. I got news. The tenth red heifer has already been sacrificed. What's his name? They're still looking for the tenth red heifer, but he's been sacrificed. That's why for 2,000 years they can't find one. But now it's time. It's time. They're going to find it. They're going to sacrifice it. And it's not going to be very long when the temple is built. But what happens in the middle of the week of tribulation? It's going to be destroyed. Temple worship and so on and so forth. You can read it for yourself. But this is telling us we are living at the end of the age. The last of the last days. Now the blood of Jesus Christ does more than just affect us outwardly. It deals with our conscience. It clearly eradicates all sin from our lives. You see, the ultimate sacrifice was Christ, who was also crucified outside the camp. See, this red heifer had to be crucified, or, or I should say, sacrificed outside the camp, not within the camp. And Christ was sacrificed where? Outside the city, not inside the city. See the parallel there? And his blood cleanses from the contamination of spiritual death and sin and makes us pure and holy. Why? So we can have entrance into the holiest place of all. So if you were a Hebrew person, a Jew back then, and you were contaminated with sin or you, and you need to purify it, you had to have the ashes of a red heifer, which is why they say we're still in a state of defilement. They can't get away from it. But thanks be to God, if they've got one that's going to be sacrificed this September, all I can say is just pack your bags and get ready, saints of God. Amen? Amen. All right. Now, what's that got to do with our serving the Lord? Well, look at Ephesians chapter 2. The blood of Jesus purges the conscience of an individual. Why? So that he can serve God. You see, we have no guilt, no condemnation. No longer any sin consciousness because we've been purified. We've been cleansed by the precious blood of Jesus. Our consciences have been dealt with and cleared by the blood of Jesus Christ so that we can actively serve God to serve the living God. Now, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10, we're told by grace, are you saved through faith and not out of yourself is the gift of God, not of works as any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created or recreated in Christ Jesus. For what reason? Unto good works, which God has ordained both before, before ordained, that we should walk in them. That's called service. We've been saved to serve. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us in such a way so as to give us a, a consciousness of our need to serve the one who saved us, who purchased us with his own blood. No one had to tell me to serve God when I first got saved. When I got saved, it was something that was already on the inside of me. It changed me from the inside out. The things of God before to me were like, are you kidding me? Couldn't even stand being in church. But once I got born again, praise God, gave my heart to Jesus. I was in church every time the doors were open. I gave of my tithes and of my offerings to serve God in that capacity. You may have never heard my testimony. Maybe some of you have. Maybe most of you have. But I sold a brand new house that I moved into because I wanted to pay my tithes. I, told, I called a real estate agent to come over to the house. She came over to the house and she said, why do you want to sell your house? It's a brand new house. You've only been here for a few months. Is there something wrong? I said, there's nothing wrong at all. I got saved. 
And I want to give my tithes to the Lord. And I don't want to be burdened down with a mortgage so that I can't do that. And she looked at me and she said, I'm a Christian too. And I never heard anybody ever say that before. I said, but I want to do what God wants me to do. I want to serve him. And I'm going to wait so I can afford it. I want to do it, praise God, no matter what I have to do. And the beauty of it is this, that God found me a nicer house for a cheaper price in a nicer neighborhood. And I lived in that house, praise God, which was nicer, much nicer. I could pay my tithes because it was less money. Praise God. And then he said, now it's time for you to leave and go to Ramah. Wasn't even in there for about six months. And I said, really? What's this God here? <laughs> the point is, something happens, man. When you're born again, you've got the life of God in you. You want to serve God. You want to do something to show your appreciation for him because he sacrificed his life for you. It's a small thing that we could serve him with our lives, whether it's give our tithes and offerings, witness for him on the streets. Whatever it is that he calls us to do. Play your instrument, sing with your voice. There are many people out there in the world today that sing well, but they're not using their voice for the glory of God. Same thing with instruments of music. We heard about all those that have musical talents and abilities. Use them to glorify God. Number two, it demonstrates our love for God. It demonstrates our love for God. We could say, I love you, Lord, with our words. But someone once said to me, turn down the volume and observe the behavior. If we say we love God, then we should want to serve. Look in John's gospel. If you recall the story of an individual by the name of Peter, chapter 21, he denied Jesus three times, did he not? He was fearful for his life, and we understand that. He was in a very difficult situation. He knew that he was going to be probably killed if he identified with Jesus, so he denied him three times. Jesus said that he would. But before that, what did he say? Oh, I'll stand by your side. Let all forsake you, but I won't. Hmm, but when he was put to the test, what happened? He denied him three times. Let's read this. So when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, yea, Lord, you know that I love you. He saith unto him, feed my lambs. In other words, you say you love me, serve me. He saith unto him again, the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, yea, Lord, uh, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, then feed my sheep. Show me, serve me. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said it to him the third time, lovest thou me? He said unto him, yeah, Lord, thou knowest all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Three times he denied him. Three times he confirmed his love for him. But three times Jesus said, then if you love me, then do something. Do something to prove your love for me. To demonstrate your love for me. Show me that you love me by your actions. You can say it with your words, but it's your actions that really count. Observe. Observations. If you really love him, then we're going to do something to show him that we love him. Now, if you recall the rest of the story, we'll go up and pick it up in verse 20. You recall the rest of the story, you find out then he showed him how he's going to die, what death he was going to die. And when Peter heard that, he said, well, there's John over there. What about him? What's he going to do? You know how Peter is. So pick it up in verse 20 here. And then Peter turning about, see the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter seeing him say to him, Lord, and what shall this man do? Lord, what shall this man do? 
And Jesus said, well, I've got, I've got a blueprint right here for his life. I'm going to hand it to you. You can look it over for yourself and just see all the details of what he's going to do for me. No, that wasn't what he said. Jesus said to him, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. In other words, you do what I told you to do. And don't be concerned about what I'm telling John to do. John's going to do what I want him to do. That's between me and him. As far as us, as far as we are concerned, I told you to feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. That's what I told you to do. So take it upon yourself to do what I've asked you to do, and you'll be okay in this life. And let me take care of John. If I want him to stay here alive, and, and, and think about it, he was the only disciple that really didn't die a martyr's death. He lived out the full length of his days upon the earth. So it shows our love for him. Now look at the same thing in Acts chapter 9 and verse 6. Here we have Saul of Tarsus who sees Jesus on the Damascus road. He has this encounter with him. And you can't help but to fall in love with Jesus when you have an encounter with him because he's nothing but love. And when he found out that what he was doing was not the right thing because he was kicking against the pricks. In Acts chapter 9 verse 6, look what he says. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what will you have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go to the city, and it'll be told ye, thee what you're going to do. So we are to ask him, if we love him, what can I do for you? We've all been given gifts, talents, and abilities to be used to honor and glorify his name. What can I do for you? What do you want me to do? There's a lot of good things that we can do. You've heard the expression, but there's not always a lot of, those good things are not only always God things, right? We want God things. What do you want? me to do what's your plan for my life and i'd be gladly i'd be gladly give myself to doing it all right look at the next one the body and the mind why serve god the body and the mind need to be dealt with anybody bring a body with you this morning did you bring your mind with you this morning right two parts of us your spirit's here we know that but look in romans chapter 12 look at the first two verses I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable what? Service. This is where true servanthood begins. We serve him by presenting him our bodies and saying, this is your body that you live in through me. Look at the next verse. And be not conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. It's God who's at work within us, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So, I'm going to serve him. Why? It's his will for my life. Why? It demonstrates my love for him. Why? Because my body and soul need dealt with. I've got to present my body to him so that it's for his use and not for mine. What's our biggest challenge in this life? selfishness is it not selfishness living for self instead of living for God living for others instead of living for God and so dealing with the physical body like Paul said he's got to keep it under every single day of his life otherwise it'll take control of his life as well and he didn't want that as a matter of fact if you read it probably in its original language he says I beat up my body every single day because it does not want to do what God wants it to do anybody can relate to him? The flesh wants to do its own thing. The mind, the soul needs to be renewed with the word of God. Otherwise, we're going to think the way we want to think. 
And you know what? Our thoughts are not his thoughts. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so we've got to see to it that renew our minds and start thinking the way he wants us to think. He gave us his word. Why? To straighten out our thinking. And boy, we all need help with that, don't we? So we need to keep the body under. We need to renew the mind. And for that reason, we serve God by giving him our body and our soul so that it could be used for his honor and glory. The next one. God honors those who serve him. And honor means to hold in high regard and high esteem. Anybody want to be held in high esteem in the sight of Almighty God? Absolutely. We talked about Moses and how Moses was called the servant of the Lord more than any man in all the Old Testament. Many, many times he was called the servant of the Lord. Matter of fact, you can read scripture now and you can see this. My servant Abraham, my servant Moses, my servant Joshua. My servant Job, my servant, he called all those individuals, my servant, my servant. Paul saw himself as a servant. Mary said, I'm the handmaid, the servant of the Lord. Do with me as you please. Use my body as you want. It's a high honor to be called a servant of the Lord. But look at John's gospel, chapter 12 and verse 26. If any man or woman serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. And if any man or woman serve me, him will my father honor. Hallelujah. Honor. I hold in high esteem if a person chooses to serve me with his life. The next one. God takes servanthood seriously. Very seriously. In Matthew's gospel, we see it here. This is what we all long for. Matthew's gospel, chapter 25, verse 23. This is the parable of the talents. How many of you know a talent is worth $1.4 million? So when we say that someone was given a talent, you know, you just think a talent. Okay, what's a talent? $1.4 million. So if this one was given five talents, that was given ten talents. Not a bad deal. His Lord said to him, well done, thou good, and what? Faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. So he takes servanthood seriously. You have served me with your life. Now, I believe that a person can get saved on their deathbed, don't you? They can give their heart to Jesus before they die, and they can go off and be with him in glory. But that person has had no opportunity to really serve the Lord with their life as they lived upon the earth. So we thank God that there are deathbed experiences where a person can get saved. But... Would it not be a whole lot better for each and every one of us, the first time we hear our need of God's saving grace, that we dedicate our lives to Him and that we live our lives to serve Him the way He wants us to, to do the things He wants us to do. Because you see, He's the one that facilitates the body of Christ. He's the one that places every person in the right spot where they need to be because He knows where we belong. It's like putting the pieces of the puzzle together. He says, you go here, you do this, you do that, you do this. Puts it all together and you've got this wonderful living organism of love where people join themselves together and create a habitation for God in the spirit where he can manifest himself in powerful ways. What God really wants from a church like this 
is us to be a shining light on a hilltop where the glory of God is in manifestation among us when we gather ourselves together so that it draws other people to him, not to us, but to him. And they see the love of God. They see the mercy of God. They see the hand of God in a glorious and powerful way because why we're working together, each person doing their part, fitly joined together and framed and compacted by that which every joint supplies and it edifies and builds up the body in love. So each and every person comes together, does their part, and they're rewarded at the end of their days, entering into the joy of the Lord because they were a good and faithful servant. But now look at the next part. Verse 30, same parable of the talents. The one who was unprofitable did not serve the Lord the way he should have. And he says this, And cast ye that unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's hard for us even to relate to this. But if God were to peel back the curtain that enables us to see to the spiritual realm, and we see all those in the grandstands of heaven cheering us on saying, it's worth serving the Lord. It's worth laying down your life. It's worth making the sacrifice. Because your life on earth is temporal. But once you leave this realm, it's eternal. And you see all that, and they're cheering you on. But then you look at the other compartment down beneath the earth, and you see all those that are lost, who on earth echoed with, among themselves, it's useless to serve the Lord. Why would I want to serve God? I remember witnessing to an individual this one time. And I, I went through line upon line, precept upon precept, sharing about that person's need to make Christ Savior and Lord of his life. I knew that he was in a religion, but he was not born again. I knew that. And so I, step by step, led him to the place where he could accept Christ as a Savior and Lord of his life. And when I got to the point where I said, now, would you like to make Jesus the Lord of your life? Would you accept him as your Savior? He said, uh, no, not really, because I'm doing a pretty good job with my life by myself. I don't want to mess that up. Can you imagine having that played back if a person's lost and they see that played back and they hear themselves saying that? You know, the Bible says that by our words we'll be justified and by our words we'll be condemned. What does that mean? Thank God you may have played back in your life these words. Yes, I will accept Jesus as my Savior and my Lord. Yes, Jesus, come into my heart. I give you my life. I deny myself. I take up my cross to follow you all the days of my life. I make you my Lord and my Savior. And thank you for saving me by your grace. You may hear yourself say those very words. My father wrote out for me a sinner's prayer that I read. I read it three days in a row. It took a while to sink in. But I read it three days in a row. And it finally hit me. I knew I was born again. I may have those words played back for me. By my words, I'll be justified. But also by the words, they'll be condemned. Can you imagine that person hearing himself, watching himself, if that's how it takes place on a screen? You had an opportunity to accept Christ as Savior and Lord. But you, you said these words. No, I don't want to. I'm doing a pretty good job taking care of my own life by myself. And can you imagine that person ushered into an eternity in the lake of fire forever? It's hard to imagine, isn't it? But these are realities. This is what Jesus taught. He taught more on hell than he did on heaven, did he, did he not? 
Absolutely. Why? Because he said, you don't want to go there. Next, our lives touch two time periods. All of ours do. Number one, the time of responsibility. As we live our lives upon this earth, we're all responsible for all the gifts, talents, and abilities that God has given us. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Look at what it says, the NIV version. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to do what? Serve. To serve. We're talking about why serve God? To serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. You know what that's saying? God's grace manifests itself in all of our lives in different ways. We all have different gifts, talents, and abilities that are to be used. Someone that's born with the gift of singing, they're prodigies, where they, they, they sing well, they play well, whatever it might be, but do they sanctify that and set it apart to serve the Lord with it, or do they serve themselves or the world with it? All that we've been given, we've been given by God and His grace. By the grace of God, Paul said, I am what I am. I couldn't be who I am without the grace of God. And so with the gift that God has given me, we are to serve one another, which is really serving God. Why? How, how do we know that? Because Jesus said, if you give someone a cup of cold water in my name, you've done it for me. If you visit somebody in a hospital, you visited me. If you visit somebody in jail, you visited me. So when we serve one another with the gifts that God has given us, who are we serving? We are serving the Lord himself. And so praise God. We're talking about present day responsibilities. But then there's a future day accountability. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we know that prior to this, he says, we walk by faith, not by sight. So while we're, but our desire would be absent from the body present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So in other words, we all have the time of responsibility as we live on the earth, but there's a time of accountability. When we stand before the Bema judgment seat of Christ, where we give an account of ourselves and the lives that we lived here upon the earth. I know that's a scary thought, isn't it? When you think about, he said, every idle word that a man shall speak, he will give account thereof on the day of judgment. Wow. Whoa. By the duct tape. Do get a big supply. And we're all guilty of it. Not watching our words like we should and saying things maybe we shouldn't be saying. You know, once they're out there, it's hard to reel them back in. We all have done it. We all know that. The only one I know is perfect is Jesus, and every word he spoke came to pass, right? But we need to be consciously aware of it and reminded constantly of our need to speak right things. In Proverbs, it says that God's heart is happy and his reins are glad when our lips speak right things. Because we're going to give an account of ourselves on the day of judgment. Romans tell, t talks about that in Romans chapter 14 as well. So... There's the future day of accountability, and we all want to be certain that we are accountable before God in such a way so as to speak right things, say right things, and live the way that God wants us to live. The next one, serving really is a way of following Jesus. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. What does he mean? Deny yourself of living independent of God. Take up your cross means surrender your will to do the will of God. And follow me means to allow me 
to make you, to mold you into the person that I want you to be. He told the disciples, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. In the book of Acts, what does it say? You receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Be my witnesses in both Judea and Samaria, the most parts of the earth. Okay, so they got filled with the Holy Ghost and power, and they became what he wanted them to be. So we do the same thing. We yield ourselves to him. We give ourselves to him. We allow him to mold us into the people that he wants us to be. But he needs our cooperation. So we do that. So we follow him. Now, where's the example? He's our model. Look here in the book of Philippians chapter 2. He's our model. We follow his example when it comes to being a servant. You know, when it comes to doing the things of God, there has to be a desire to do it. There has to be a decision to do it. And also there has to be a design. The design is the model. Then there's determination to follow through with it. And it goes on from there. But look at this verse, these verses. Let this mind, in other words, this is how we ought to think. Be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, notice the expression, form of God, thought it not Robert to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon, took upon him the form of a servant. The form of God, the highest. The form of a servant, the lowest. He who was the highest took on the form of the lowest, the servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So he who was the highest took it upon himself to go to the lowest and serve humanity. That's what he came to do. Now, when you think about this, if you think about when Jesus washed the feet of his disciples and where they were, here you have a, a room filled with prideful hearts and dirty feet. Who's the one that went running for the bucket and the towel? Jesus did. Isn't that something? When you think about the creator... You think about the one seated at the right hand of the Father, who robed himself in flesh, came to the earth, did not live for himself at all. He said, all that I do, I do by the design of my Father. He tells me what to do. He tells me what to say. I follow through with it. And he poured himself out as a servant to serve all. He washed their feet. He wasn't too proud, even though he was God, manifested in the flesh. Well, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 23, look at this. He that is greatest among you shall be your king, your president. No? Shall be your what? Anybody want to be great? There was a situation where in the American Revolution, there was a person in civilian clothes riding a horse by a group of soldiers that were working on a barrier. They were repairing the barrier. And when he saw how hard they were laboring, he heard their leader cry out these orders and just start barking out these orders. And he said to the individual leader, why aren't you helping them? And the leader cried out and he said, I'm a colonel. He said, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to offend got off his horse, dismounted, went down and helped the soldiers repair the barrier. When the job was completed, he got up, went back over to the colonel and said, Mr. Colonel, 
Next time you have a big job like this and you don't have enough men, he said, you can go to your captain in chief and you could ask for help and I would be glad to come and help you as your commander in chief. He didn't know that the fellow that was in the civilian clothes that got off the horse to do what the colonel would not do was none other than President George Washington. He was not too proud to humble himself, to wash feet, to help people in need. But the colonel, he was too prideful to do that. It was beneath him to do that. Jesus said that if you want to be the greatest of all, you've got to be the lowest of all. If you want to rise to the highest, you've got to dig deep to the lowest. If you want to build a skyscraper, you've got to have a deep foundation because that's what's going to make it successful. Otherwise, it's going to fall. Look at the next one. Serving leads to promotion. Everybody likes to be promoted. We all want to be promoted in life, in this life. But of course, it should be that we want to be promoted in glory. But look in Luke's gospel, chapter 14, verse 11. For whosoever exalts himself shall be abased, and he that humbles himself shall be exalted. So if we want to be lifted up and exalted, then we have to humble ourselves, as Jesus said. If you want to be the greatest among the people, you've got to be the one to basically say, I'm willing to go to the lowest so I can rise to the highest. Humility is before promotion. And to show you that, how clear that is, look at Philippians chapter 2. Jesus, we just read, humbled himself. He who was in the form of God took on the form of a servant and humbled himself to become obedient to death, even the death of the cross. And he is our role model. Notice humility, obedience, the pouring up out of himself to serve humanity as he did. Look at the next verses. Wherefore, because of all this, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things or beings in heaven and things or beings in earth, things or beings under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Can you imagine that scene? I pray that when we're on the other side in glory, that God has some way of putting on this big screen everything that Jesus did when he left the glory world behind and became a man. I would love to hear him saying, a body hast thou prepared for me. I come as it's written in the book to do thy will, O God. And we see this second person of deity leaving his position there in glory, entering into the womb of a woman and becoming a man and robing himself in flesh. He didn't enter this world as a king or a prince. He came in as a servant to serve humanity. And then we see him growing up, being obedient to his parents. We see him then being baptized in water and saying, it's, there's a need for me to fulfill all that is right. And then we see him empowered by the Spirit and we see him serving humanity in such a glorious way that wherever he goes, the glory of the Lord is upon him. He heals the sick. 
He cleanses lepers. He raises the dead. He does all unimaginable things. Restoring body parts that aren't even there. Even the maimed are made whole. We see him serving humanity in this way. But then we see him going to a cross where he suffers the death of crucifixion. And we see him taking upon himself the sin of the world. You talk about the lowest of the lowest. He became sin. It wasn't just a sin. He became sin itself for us who knew no sin. You talk about serving us in some capacity so that we would be made the righteousness of God in Christ. And when God raised him from the dead, wouldn't that be a magnificent scene if we see him being raised up and then all the spirits of all the just rising up with him? Raised him from the dead. Gave him back his glory. And then, of course, made it possible for us to become sons and daughters of the Most High God. And our conclusion... There's just a few things we have here. Every one of us has been called to serve God. And that's what this really month has been all about. We've all been called to serve God. If you're born again, washed in the blood, you have a call upon your life. And I have a call upon my life. It doesn't mean you're going to do something like this. Stand behind a pulpit and preach to people. It could be anything that God would have you to do. But I guarantee you, there's something your hand can find to do. And then, secondly, our motive should be our love for God. Not because someone from a pulpit says you should serve God. There should be a love for the life that Jesus lived, the death that he died, all the sacrifice that he made for us, being cleansed by his precious blood that motivates me with a clear conscience to say, you gave your life for me. It's a small thing. I could do something for you. No matter how small. Because you know what? In his sight... A cup of cold water is not small. A penny, a widow's mite, is not too small for him. Thirdly, we all have been given certain talents, gifts, and abilities that need to be sanctified and set apart for the use of our Master, our Savior, our Lord. Every one of us. You can't say, well, I don't have any gift. Yes, you do. You have a gift. Whatever it is, just find it, discover it. There's many gifts in different ways God can use you. Number four, we all have something to offer. We all have something to offer. To say that I don't have anything to offer is really to be misled. You've got something to offer, the smallest thing. You know what? You've got a cell phone. Call somebody and encourage them in the Lord. Let them know that you care about them. Especially at a time like this when everybody's challenged with COVID-19 and all the craziness that's been going on in our society. You can do it. Just encourage somebody. And finally, there are many ways to serve God. As a matter of fact, we're going to hand this out. We thought it would be ready for this week, but we're going to hand it out to you for next week. Um, as far as we're concerned here at our Assembly of Believers, and again, you can serve God other than Christian Assembly. You can serve in different ways. But we've got advertising team, Bridges for Life Ministries, Card Ministry, Children's Outreach, Cookies for Schools, Fellowship Team, Greeters, Helps Ministry, Homeless Ministry, Homeless Ministry Clothing Room, Media Ministry, Medical Response Team, Music Ministry, Missions, Nursing Home, Parking Lot Team, Police and Firemen Outreach, Prayer Chain, Prayer Partner and Altar Workers, Prison Ministry, Security, Servant Evangelism Team, Visitor Follow-Up, Ushers, Welcome Team, Youth Ushers, and Greeters. These are just some of the things that you can get involved in here if you just say, I'm going to serve God in a, in, a, in a way that He's wanting me to serve Him. But as always, look to Him. Have an encounter with Him. Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? I would gladly lay down my life as you lay down your life for me. Let's all stand together before the Lord.